You're listening to the 50 by 50 podcast for the young at heart woman who is looking to get the most out of life as she steps up to 50 and beyond. Hey there, it's Rochelle Marie. Welcome to this episode of the 50 by 50 podcast where today we are joined by the lovely Clea. Once again, all the way from England, there is definitely a theme going on here, but we do have some different people in this show as well. <laughs> um, but I love, I love the people from England. One, I love your accent. Um, but welcome to the show, Claire. Thanks for joining Hi. us. Hi. Hi, thanks for having me. Welcome. Um, okay, we're going to get straight into it as we always do. So I wanted to start with just a little bit about who Claire is at this age. Who do you see yourself as at the moment? So I'm a mum of two girls. I'm a working mother. So I work for the University of Oxford, um, which is a very exciting and, and quite demanding job. Um, I'm really busy. Uh, my eldest daughter is 16 and my youngest daughter is eight. Um, I'm 49, nearly 50. <laughs> I'm going to be 50 in a few weeks in June. So, um, yeah, sort of exciting. And well, yeah, a bit of both. Um, and I'm in that lovely perimenopausal stage. So yes. I'm dealing with all of those sorts of things as well. It is having a, an impact on me. Um, I'm a wife. I'm an owner of two dogs. I'm a fitness freak. I'm a runner. So I do a lot of running. I do a lot of exercise. It's really good for my mental health and I used to be a fitness instructor many years ago and I worked on cruise ships. So all of that has informed who I am today. So I can't stop exercising. <laughs> that's yeah, that's awesome. Um, so what do you do at University of Oxford? That's like from this side of the world, that seems very exciting. So what do you do? Yeah, so I'm, I'm a communications manager. I work for um, one of the departments. Um, and I manage all our communications, say so like website, social media. It is really exciting. Um, and I think the surprising thing about the university is that there's so much research that goes on. It's, mm -hmm. it's everybody knows it for its um, like taught degrees, like undergraduate degrees, and you know for the fact that most major politicians around the world went to Oxford. But there's a huge amount of research um, that has a massive amount of impact on the world and that's really really exciting I, I love all of that so I do a lot of research communications trying to tell everybody else trying to tell the general public the sorts of things that we do in an understandable type of way <laughs> I love that that's that's such a skill to be able to take something academic whether it's you know science or um, economics or like research and then put it in a way that people understand it yeah yeah and that's and that's really good because I think I'm just, you know, I'm a fairly normal person. Um, and so I, when I try to explain these things to people, I them as other fairly normal people with a, with a brain um, who are interested. Um, so we're not talking, you know, tabloid media, we're talking sort of informed people. Yes. Um, and trying to put it across in a way that is relevant. So that university talks a lot about impact, you know, the impact that research has on, on the world. So try and discuss it in a way that has has real life impact on people and their lives and yeah, that's, that sort of stuff, really. Yeah. I, yeah, that's awesome. Um, I think like it's definitely an 
area that I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of podcasts talk about, you know, even this morning I was listening to one with Brene Brown interviewing Dan Pink and he has done some research around regret. Um, and so, you know, the research itself is exciting to me around that stuff, around the sort of social psychological research is that's my degree. Um, but just listening to him talking about it with Brene and the just the immediate impact on me. And um, so, yeah, it must be super satisfying as a job. Do you get much yes. feedback? Do you get sort of like immediate feedback from people or is it just a bit of... No, no, we don't get... No, it just happens. We don't get a huge amount of feedback. I mean, some things get picked up by the press and that's quite gratifying. Like mm -hmm. the mainstream media, that, that's quite gratifying sometimes. I'm working with those sorts of things. Um, you know, working to know that something's going to be even more widely distributed is quite exciting. But yeah, you sort of send it up into the ether and look at the data, but you don't really get much sort of personal feedback. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you mentioned, uh, so 50 in June, which by the time this episode airs, it means you will be 50. So hello, 50-year-old future you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then also a 16-year-old and an 8-year-old. So yeah. a decent size gap in there uh, first question is how do they get along um they get along okay so the, the gap is because um it's my husband's second marriage my second relationship so I wasn't married so between us we have two uh, he has two older daughters who are in their late 20s then um I had faith from my previous relationship and then we had the youngest one Erin together They don't really talk to each other much. <laughs> the older one doesn't baby the young. Oh, I think we just skipped out there, but that's okay. Um, so I heard they don't talk to each other much. No, the, I said, the, yeah, the older one doesn't baby the younger one. It's yeah. very much a full-on sibling relationship. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> um I I have three younger sisters so my youngest is six years younger um this and I age, yeah I, I do think though I probably more babied her because I maybe because I had the steps in between so I had the kind of the sibling rivalry the the sibling um almost same age because I think my sister and I are about 20 months so you know we had some similarities but then yeah there was a definite babying of the youngest yeah in fact sometimes it's the other way around and in fact with um, with everything that's been going on with Faith Erin has become very very caring mm -hmm. um she gets very worried about Faith and you know she hears Faith upset which you know teenagers get upset she hears Faith's upset. She comes running to me. Says, "Mummy, Mummy, you've got to go and see Faith. Go and see Faith. You know what, what's the matter with Faith?" Or yeah, she's very, very concerned. She's quite. She's very emotionally intelligent and, and very switched on. Yeah. Um. And she absolutely adores her sister. Yeah. You know, like she invented Sister's Day recently. <laughs> so she said it's Sister's Day on Saturday, and we're like, "Oh, what? What?" So she made a card at school for Sister's Day, and we had to buy Faith a present and make up Sister's Day. And it was because it, it was only her. It wasn't Sister's Day for the other two. It was just for Faith. So I think she's, yeah, I think she's got so much love in her. But, you know, on the surface, they barely have anything to do with each other. Yeah, yeah. What a fascinating relationship. Um, and, and we'll talk a bit more about Faith shortly. But the, 
um, I have heard recently around that, you know, we, we kind of have the eldest role and the youngest role and there's, there's things that happen in that space. Um, the eldest is normally, like you said, the, the carer or in my case, the bossy one. Um, yeah. And often in families where there's trauma, those roles do switch. So it's interesting that, that yeah, that that's happened. Um, okay, so the the big question is one of the things that I've noticed is that is that when you look back on your life, you can normally find one, two, maybe many, but normally one or two that really stick out of what has contributed to who you are today. So much so that if they hadn't have happened, you would be a different person. Um, and so I'm really like, it really fascinates me how we have those moments and what would have happened if they hadn't have happened. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd love to hear about your, your moments that have contributed to who you are today. So um, I think the, the big thing for me I've learned and I've had therapy and <laughs> all sorts of things is that when I was younger, uh, my mother um, had anorexia nervosa. And so she, she had it before I was born, when, when she was a child. Um, and I think she was about 14 and she was at school. Um, her parents weren't getting on very well and she started to control her surroundings, I guess, by not eating properly. Mm -hmm. um, and in those days, we're talking about the 60s, um, it wasn't very well managed, you know, um, medically. So, um, so I think there was quite a lot of trauma for her. So she, she didn't eat properly. She was diagnosed with anorexia. Her parents were told that she might not make it to an adult. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that what happened was that my mum then desperately wanted this like, like ideal family around her. So she had me when she was quite young. She married my dad. She had me when she was 21. Uh, she had my brother when she was 23. And I think... Um, then, they, then she separated from my dad and married my stepfather and then the anorexia started again so it's been a constant cycle of of food eating disorders basically around me growing up um and um so when I was about 10 she was sent to a um a mental health center for therapy but you know in those days not very nice therapy right there was a lot of deprivation so they sort of so her going into hospital was a very very big moment she was in I think she was in for about six weeks and it was over Christmas and we were all so by that time she'd also had my other brother um, who was a baby so there were three of us um, we were all sent to different places to, so I was sent to stay with my teacher. My brother was sent to stay with a friend. My youngest brother, the baby, was sent to stay with family. And um, yeah, that was quite, quite a big deal because obviously she wasn't there. Um, and we didn't understand what was going on. I, I don't remember understanding. There are, th there are things that I remember. I remember um, Christmas, she sent us a card. So it was on, on Christmas and we stood around my grandmother's um, organ because my grandma played piano. So she did, they had an organ in the house. We stood around the organ and we, somebody had told my mum that we would be singing a Christmas song 
at the same time, like at a particular time, so she would know we would be singing it. Yeah. And we had the card as well, and it was a very a card. I can picture the card. It was like a threefold, um, and I remember reading it a lot, and it was very very emotional that she mm. wasn't there. Mm. So on Christmas, as mm. you can imagine, we used to have yeah. the mum around on Christmas, and then um, after Christmas, so in January, we went to the hospital to get her. I don't know whether she discharged herself or, and that was a very scary experience um, because it was a hospital for people with mental health problems, quite, yeah. some of them quite severe. Yeah. So that was quite scary. And I remember that very clearly. Yeah. But that, you know, the eating disorder, that didn't make it go away. Um, and so then she went on and had two more children after that. So I've got, so there's five of us in total. And I remember when we found out she was pregnant with my other brother, I remember coming home from school and she used to diet. So she used to have cottage cheese. Do you remember? In yeah. the 80s, co- eating cottage cheese, diet cottage cheese with the thing, grapefruit and diet cottage cheese. Wow. And the bottom of our fridge was full of diet cottage cheese. And we came home from school and she was throwing all the cottage cheese away. Right. And then, um, and then she was... So she, that was weird. We were like, what's going on here? And then she wasn't very well. She must have had quite bad morning sickness, mm-hmm. but nobody told her. So she was in bed and me and my brother thought she was dying of cancer. Oh. We, ha- we had no idea what was going on because obviously, you know, that whole thing about not, about not telling people you're pregnant until three months. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think that's such a big deal now. But then, and also she'd lost a few along the way. Later, it turned out she'd had quite a few miscarriages and... Mm. So that was all really traumatic, just, you know, really not knowing what was going on. Um, Our lives being, you know, sort of not controlled by food, but food was a big deal. She was quite, you know, obsessed by what we ate. Like everything was homemade. She became really focused on um, additives and having organic food before anybody else was having organic food. Mm -hmm. She used to go to health food stores. So there was food was a really big deal, but then she didn't eat. Right. So she would make lovely, you know, our, our kitchen was always full of cakes. It was like a tower of cake tins full of cakes. Um, she was always baking and cooking and buying food, but then, then didn't consume it. Mm. So that, and then I became, so as a result of all that, I became quite an overweight teen. Mm-hmm. And had lots of body issues mm-hmm. um so I mean I was just I was just a normal teenager but we she fed us a lot so we ate a lot there was always plentiful food was always plentiful I don't know so you come home from school and have a chocolate brownie or whatever and obviously being a girl and being quite large boned as they used to say <laughs> it just it I just piled on the weight yeah um and so as a in my teens and my late teens, I was very, very, very unhappy about myself. I, I had no self-esteem mm. um, and I kept a diary. Uh, and I, if I read back that diary, it's full of, you know, sad moments about like, nobody loves me, nobody will ever love me. You know, that sort of stuff. I didn't have a boyfriend. I was sort of scared of boys. I went to an all girls school, so that didn't help. And um, so, yeah, that, that carried on and I was very unhappy with myself. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, uh, uh, having been through, you know, eating disorder 
therapy with the professionals, I know that this, there's no blame involved. Mm -hmm. you know, my mum suffered trauma, I think, when her parents were in the sort of phase of being really unhappy with each other. Mm -hmm. um, and that contributed to her trying to control her environment with food. Um, and then we, I grew up in that environment and it hasn't really affected my brothers in in the, in the food sense. I mean, I think it's affected them emotionally, but not in the food sense. Um, I, I remember an occasion, so she used to be, she was quite depressed um, and she, she didn't handle um, difficult situations very well. So I remember once my little brother was in the high chair and he wouldn't eat his dinner or, you know, like toddlers do. Yes. Um, and she got so upset about it. She beat her head with a frying pan. Mm. So she was obviously really traumatised and just didn't know how to how to let that out. Mm. You know, people didn't really talk very much in those days, did they? No, yeah. Yeah. Um, and there were, yeah, and there were other incidences where she sort of self-harmed. And and as as I know now, an eating disorder is a form of self-harm. Yeah. Um, but obviously, you know, she was she was a young mum, so most of this would have happened. If I was 10, she was like 30, 31. Mm-hmm three young children mm -hmm. a divorce behind her so you can sort of see where all of this came from so there's there's no blame attached to anything so did you ever did you ever have the chance to talk to her about it like as an adult not really no no, it's not, we don't have, I mean, we have a good relationship. We don't have that sort of relationship where right. we can, I think she wants to pack it all away. Yeah. And also she's still, I mean, she's what, in her sixties now, she still doesn't eat properly. Right. And that's quite, that's quite difficult um, when she's, I mean, she, they, they, they don't live locally anymore, but um, if she's here, that's quite difficult. And it did have an impact on us when she came for a visit recently. Um. And there are little things that she says. So um, when, so, so the, to continue the story, so my daughter has been diagnosed with an eating disorder, with the same eating disorder, with anorexia. Um, and recently when my mum was here, um, she was just having her usual salad and egg every day, like one mm -hmm. meal, a bit of salad and an egg. Um, and both my daughter and I ended up losing weight because of that being around that. Right. Um, and, my daughter found it quite difficult to deal with at the time that she had the eating disorder and and but then my mum at one point she said oh no I ended Faith got, Faith got very very upset she had it was a real emotional roller coaster and she would just have these breakdowns and she came in and she was just sobbing I can't even remember what it was about now and um, my mum came up and she said oh Faith I know what it's like you know so there are those moments where she she recognizes but I don't think we would actually have a conversation about it. Mm. So, so you said your daughter um, has anorexia as well. Um, yeah. And so I guess, do you have those conversations with her? Yes. Uh, yeah. And, and 
how do you both, how do you think she finds them and how do you find those conversations? Um, I think I think we're sort of on an equal footing with those conversations because as Faith sees it, I also have issues around food and especially exercise. As I said, I'm a complete fitness freak and, um, and I am very food conscious. So I try and make healthy food and, you know, I'm always trying out like being a vegan. I, I was a vegan for a year and a half. I'm vegetarian anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of control for me around food and also my body. And I'm very paranoid about weight. So, you know, the cycle has continued. Um, so the conversations I have with Faith, she's very open. I'm really lucky with her that she's very, she finds it very easy to talk to me. Um, but it's more, it's less of a mother-daughter conversation and more of a two people in the thick of it conversation. Right. Um, we're both sort of sharing this experience. To a certain extent, she sort of blamed me at the beginning. But then since we've had more therapy, we've had a bit of therapy together. Yeah. Um, she's begin, she's, she's understood the cycle, understood, you know, what it must have been like for me growing up in that environment. You know, being the only girl as well. Mm. Um, so my mum was my, my role model. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, you know, being the eldest, watching my, my siblings grow up um, how, and how she behaved around them. So I've been in it for the longest, if you see what I mean, because she was 21 when I was born. So um, I've, I've been in it for the longest. Um, and I think I probably noticed it more than the others. Mm. So Faith is very understanding of all of that and we can talk about you know the emotional triggers for um eating disorders and how we need to try and be better and she will most definitely criticize me if she thinks you know I mean she doesn't hold back if she thinks I'm I'm doing something that is you know an eating disorder habit yeah um the scary thing for me I think is going through the therapy with her is that she says things that I absolutely recognise they are things that I think or do as well. Right. Um, so I'm trying to think of an example. So well, basically the, the uh, not eating until I absolutely feel I have to, you know, <clears throat> so I'll get up in the morning and I will try not to eat until I really, really have to. Like, I know that's skipping skipping breakfast, but it's more than that. It's more of a, you know, I know that once I do eat something, then it's like a slippery slope then. So trying to hold off. Um, and one of the big things with Faith's therapy was trying to get her to have breakfast because she was doing the same thing. And you yeah. just think, oh, you know, the same behaviours repeated. Yeah. So then I, I was sort of trying to make myself have breakfast which is quite difficult. So it's really difficult to be the parent of somebody with an eating disorder when you sort of empathise with the eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does. Do you think you would be behaving differently if Faith didn't have an eating disorder? No. Okay. 
I think I would be behaving as I do. I think, I think I, I wouldn't be questioning it. If she didn't have the eating disorder, I would just be controlling myself and my body and my intake of food, which I was doing before. Right. Um, but obviously now she's got it and the question, the questions and the discussions around it. Um, you know, I've, I've learned a lot since she was diagnosed, which was November last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of those things have helped me to understand what's going on with, with my eating and my habits. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, <clears throat> that diagnosis and that realization has changed, has definitely changed me. Yeah. Yeah. And so is it um, with the therapy that you've been through, is it um, because I I did a like undergrad paper on anorexia. So that's the last time really that I looked at it. So I know very little about it. And and what are we talking? I don't know, 30 years ago. (laughs) It's been a while. Um, But just around like, is it so this is you know, down a family, particularly women. And it doesn't surprise me that you absorbed it more than your brothers. I think there is something in um, us being, whether it's society or, um, you know, nurture nature, whichever, being the, uh, the relationship people. And so we pick up things that, that men just don't seem to pick up in, in that way. Yeah. Um, so like certainly not surprising frustrating (laughs) and like you said men do they do take things in it just turns out differently it shows differently and I see that with my my son and my daughter as well Um, so is there is it genetic or is it is it really control um, you know what what you've been brought up with it is genetic it is genetic okay yeah so there's there's very strong evidence to say that it's genetic but obviously it's like anything isn't it the, the environment can trigger the not trigger the gene but make the gene stronger or or, or more apparent so um so it's, it's both really but um i think in our case um there's a definite there's a definite genetic mm-hmm. um component to it and the, and the therapists do say that the professionals do say that that it's that it's genetic um recently my my niece has also struggled um so yeah I can definitely see a pattern right with it yeah. um it's it's been worse for Faith I think because obviously she's grown up with me exhibiting some of those behaviors not nowhere near as extreme as my mother's but you know, kids kids pick up on things, don't they? That you don't realise that they're picking up on. Oh, so much, <laughs> so much, and and the I think the hard thing is you get to this age, and to me, one of the pieces of work we need to do is is let go of the the guilt for that, um, because I, I as mums, I just think we have so much guilt for everything and it, to me there's a big piece of work in learning to let go of that guilt because we all are damaged human beings and we all pass something on to our kids I, I have not ever met a kid who's had a perfect upbringing um, clearly there are degrees in perfection um, but hanging on to the guilt of it is doesn't serve anyone right it's no. 
have you sort of been on that journey? Are you anywhere with that or is that still looming large in your life at the moment? I mean, it does still loom a bit large. Um, but on the other hand, I'm very much a sort of, I'm very, I think I'm very open and I'm quite honest with my daughter. So I feel like I can just confess in a way. And I think that makes it easier yeah. just to say, look, Faith, this is who I am. You know, I'm not, I'm never going to be perfect, mum. These are the, you know, these are the cards we've been dealt with. We recently did some, some family tree therapy, which was really helpful for her. Yeah. Looking at my family tree and her dad's family tree and talking about her personality and, you know, how that, the conflicts within her because of the two different sides and the commonalities and those sorts of things. Mm. And that was really fascinating. And, and one of the reasons that the therapist suggested it to me was so that Faith would understand, you know, where she comes from in that, you know, in that sort of gene pool, what characteristics she takes with her so that she understands that, you know, I mean, she knows her parents aren't perfect. She's at that age where her parents are not perfect. Oh, yeah. but, you know, <laughs> deep, deep down, they need to know, you know, the teenagers, the teenagers don't like their parents, you know, but deep down, they still need to know that you're there for them. Yeah. And I think by understanding a little bit more about her family history and, and the people and the characters and the things that have happened during that, she had a fuller picture of herself and she can forgive herself a little bit more. Yeah. And I can forgive myself a bit more and just say, you know, that the, these are the circumstances that we've been through, the way that we've been living um, and you carry everything with you. Yeah. So it was quite revelatory and it was lovely to do it together. Mm. Uh, and the nice thing for me was that the therapist, so we were talking about some of the things we've been discussing this morning and the therapist said, um, so um, Faith, is any of this a surprise to you? And Faith was like, no, I know all about, you know, the family history and my grandma and, you know, the relationship breakup with my parents and all of these sorts of things. So I, I think the key in all of this is just honesty mm -hmm. just be honest mm -hmm. you know even if it hurts they really teenagers especially really appreciate it and they sort of I feel like she will absorb it and it will come out in a sort of I don't know hopefully a more rounded person a more confident person because she knows what she's made up of mm -hmm. that's it I, I love that kind of therapy that would be I, I've never heard of that and that would definitely be fascinating um I, I now I'm not a scientist but there's a study that I've heard of around epigenetics which is different than our than our DNA and our genes and it they also carry those stories through from past generations so when they talk about generational trauma um you know when they talk about first nations people carrying that with them through through generations something that happened you know four or five generations ago that they weren't even party to is physically still within them um so i think there's still a lot more study to go in that space but it really makes that generational therapy actually key to understanding who you are and why you might behave the way you are like something that you know maybe your grandmother but for me my grandmother in in going through a world war what was the trauma that she kept through that and has passed down and passed down those kind of yeah. 
questions would be really interesting and might provide some insight um, yeah. that you didn't even think would be a thing. So that's, yeah, that's interesting. And I think it's really helpful for teenagers because teenagers are such perfectionists, aren't they? They just mm-hmm. want to be the super perfect version of themselves, the Instagram version. And I think it's really helpful for them to understand that these, you know, these character traits are just part of who you are that that's okay that everybody has them that you can see them back down your family history you can see that you know your dad behaves in a certain way or your cousin does this and you do the same thing and and I think it's really helpful to create an understanding of the fact that you don't have to be this um, perfect human being that you've got these wonderful characteristics and and again that aren't anything to do with what you look like are just in you you know these great so one of the things that makes me laugh or makes her laugh is that my my dad is a Morris dancer so we don't have them in Australia so my dad does Morris dancing which is like traditional English you would have seen it you know it's with the hankies and the bells and the hats wow dancer. Um, my daughter is a dancer she calls herself a dancer um, she loves to dance she wants to go on to do dance in the future and um, so there's that link and then my so we looked at the family tree and then my cousins in America one of the, they were both ballet dancers I was a fitness instructor so that's like a faith, um, faith doesn't like to to connect all the two or all the all the different dancers but we are you know that's part of her it's sort of musical dancing history yes. is part of her and that's quite fun I think when she's older she'll look back and think that that's quite nice at the moment she's completely disassociated from it yes but you know when you do this family tree and you look at things like that it's it's actually really reassuring to know you're part of of this sort of of this continuation of something yeah yeah such a gift that's just such a big gift I love it yeah um is there anything else that you wanted to highlight in that in that story um I think if anybody's going through this um I mean, it's, it, I have to say last year was the hardest year of my life. Um, and, you know, I, I ended up being signed off work on antidepressants and Faith was put on depress- antidepressants. Um, we had incidences of self-harm where we had to get medical intervention. We had to call an ambulance. It was really, 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 really hard for all of us. Um, but I think looking back now, things are better. Um, just that just that idea that when you're in it it will get better Mm -hmm. that you can look forward that things will change and especially with teenage teenagers that their mind you you forget how much their brain is developing and I've definitely noticed over this past year how her mindset has changed how her thought processes have changed Um, and some of it has been the therapy but I think a lot of it is sort of self-realization and I think if you're in, in the middle of all of this, if somebody had said to me, look, this is horrendous, you know, we'll support you, we'll do whatever it takes. But in the future, her brain will change and she will understand what's going on a bit better. She will come to sort of more of a realisation, almost an awakening of who she is and how to deal with this. Um, I, think, I think that would be quite helpful. It's almost the whole idea of of a flow through life you're not stuck in that moment 
you know the moments it felt like we were at the time it felt like oh my god this is never going to end yeah and I think somebody telling you that you know it will change you will move forward there will be progress I'm not saying it's going to get better for everyone mm -hmm. but there will be change yes yeah yeah that I think that's a really good um realization and understanding for people to have uh, so many things that we go through in life we think this is it this is this is my life now um and it feels so consuming at the time and it is so consuming at the time but i think it's it's one of the lessons i pass on to my daughter um just around breakups uh she's had a few you know she's 23 yeah. And she had a few traumatic breakups um, and each time she's they're getting a little easier uh, but each time at the beginning they're the worst you know it's yeah. the worst thing ever and my life is over and just the reminder to her and that's all I do is just remind her we've been here before we yeah. will come out the other side um, and I've been through some good breakups too. And so I can share that with her. You know, you've seen me go through this. You've seen me come out the other side. Um, I, I, and I think like what you said before as well around just this open communication. I think that's something that our generation has done really well that wasn't done before our generation particularly well definitely. Uh, and I, yeah I think uh, it'll be interesting to see what our kids do with their kids yeah. <laughs> are they gonna swing back the other way and go no 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 that was far too much information <laughs> yeah. yeah um but I you know I often am super grateful that my kids will tell me anything they will talk to me about anything and yeah. I'm also quite often horrified that my kids will talk to me about anything. yes yeah um, that's that's true yeah sometimes it's like oh I don't really want to know this <laughs> oh and yet and yet thank you like still thank you yeah. uh, oh boy I can never unknow that <laughs> thanks <laughs> um I think the other, the other thing that I decided to do I mean uh, uh, one of there's there's two other things really one of them was just keep calm and it's very difficult to do that when you're faced with these situations so I mean uh, there were many there were times when she you know self-harmed quite badly or you know she was in such a state and just to stay calm and not let your emotions take over that really helped the situation because as soon as I got emotional it just escalated yes. so just to I mean it takes a lot of self-control and afterwards you have to go and cry or lock yourself in the bathroom or go for a run or you need to let it out somehow afterwards yeah um, and the other thing was I just kept telling her that I love her mm -hmm like all the way through, no matter how, I mean, she was, she was like a demon at times. She was so nasty. And obviously the, the eating disorder had consumed her so much that that was the language that was coming out wasn't actually her. Mm -hmm. So just not to rise to it. And I, I, every night I tell her I love her. In these situations, I tell her I love her. And I just think, even if you don't get a response, don't worry about a response. Don't worry about, I love you coming back. Just constantly reassure your child that you love them and you're there for them and that permeates that sinks in and she knows she knows whatever happens I will be there you know I love her no matter what and you know when there's an eating disorder eating away at your brain that's sort of controlling you it's really important for her sort of psyche to know 
that I'm there with her, that I adore her, whatever happens. Yes. So yeah, just saying I love you yeah. every time. Yeah, that's so good. I, I think it's one of the, the main areas that we really can be a parent. I think sometimes when we're being a parent, there is a little bit of, but what about me? Like, you know, I'm I'm making you dinner, and and your response is yuck. Like, what yeah. about me? <laughs> you know? But I think that 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 area where you're, particularly through trauma, and particularly through those teenage years, where they are like most of them are pretty, um, you know, have horrific pieces of teenage years. Um, being the parent in that situation giving without expectation of receiving is the one area I think we can do yeah yeah I think I think not expecting absolutely nothing from them I mean even if you get like oh I don't care back or you know whatever and it's just often you get that don't you where the door slams in your face and you're just like you just have to not not get emotional about that you just have to go I just I just I've read books about the teenage brain and I just and I just in my head I just say well that's because those bits of the brain haven't quite developed enough or connected properly so that's fine you know I know that that is not her yeah so I, mean, I know what her personality is I know what her beautiful character traits are um, how loving she is but she's a teenager yeah. so there's this sort of layer of teenagerness yes over all of those things <laughs> Exactly. And, and it's another one of those things. This too shall pass. They they do not yeah. stay teenagers forever. <laughs> there is an other side to it. And and the foundation you lay during that time is what comes back to you as they become early 20s and, and exactly. on your life. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you have to focus on laying that foundation. You're right. Yes. Yeah. And it's like that's not to say it's easy because it's not. And we are human and we would like someone to love us back when we love them. So it's not it isn't easy. Um, But like I said, it's the one time I feel like I can be the parent, just the parent. Yeah. Not the not the uh, still hurt teenager that's living inside of me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You can you can rise above it by saying I'm a parent. I know more. Exactly. Okay. Um, so we'll we'll move on to lighter topics. So what is something that has surprised you about getting to this age? Oh god, so many things. <laughs> so many things. Um I think I'm surprised I've got this far to, to be honest, <laughs> in the first place. Um I look back now and I think because I, I worked in cruise ships, I mean I did some crazy stuff when I was, you know, all over the world when I was younger. Um, and I'm like, if my children did those things, I'd be like, will they survive? Will <laughs> they survive? So there, there's that. I think um, the, the sort of level of not giving a shit that I have mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. I, I've always been quite, I mean, no, no, that's not true. When I was younger, I, I massively cared what everybody thought, massively. Mm-hmm. And then it's a bit of a cliche, isn't it? People say when you reach you know your your midlife that you won't care I literally don't care yeah I don't care what anyone thinks I don't I, I put clothes on I don't care um I don't value people's opinions that I don't care about mm-hmm. you know if some stranger in the street says something to me oh, who cares you know I don't know them but if my best friend said oh not sure about that dress I'd probably take notice but overall I don't care um I've managed to focus on the things that matter now so I don't 
I'm not so worried about my career. Um, I just, you know, I'm, I'm more concerned about keeping my family safe and looking after my children and making sure they're okay. So I'm, I think I'm less self-absorbed yeah. than I was, yeah. but in a way more selfish. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Does that make sense? I think so, but tell me more. So I think I'm selfish in that, you know, if I don't want to do something, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to waste, you know, six hours of what's left of my precious life doing that. <laughs> but on the other hand, I don't care what people think. I, you know, I wear what I like. I read what I like. I watch what I like. So yeah, I'm more selfish in that respect. Yeah. In that yeah. I prioritise myself, but I don't care what other people think. So I'm not, I'm not focused on you know what I look like or what makeup I'm wearing or what hair I'm wearing yeah does that make sense yes it does <laughs> completely makes sense um I I I feel like there's this sense really for the first time in my life that time is kind of running out that there is yeah. a finite finiteness that's not the right word but there is there is an end to life at some point and I'm yeah. probably over the halfway to that point you become hyper aware of making the most of whatever that means making the yeah. most of the time that you have left and so you do become more selfish with that time I think not necessarily yeah. everything I don't I don't know that selfishness extends to everything, but selfishness around time. Yeah. And to me, that's logical. Like, why am I going to give my time to someone that, like you said, we, we start to go, well, like your opinion doesn't matter to me. Like, why am I going to give you my time? Hmm. If your opinion yeah. doesn't matter to me. Um, so yeah, it totally makes sense. And, and, should we start that earlier? Is that something that, yeah. you know, like, or is this the right age to start that? I, like, if you look at your kids, do you want to tell them, be more selfish now? Because you've actually, yeah. like, this is going to fly by. But then, you know, you could tell them that and they wouldn't take any notice. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how much notice did you take of what your parents said oh, when yeah. you were, <laughs> not at all? No, I did the opposite. Whatever they said, I did the opposite. Yeah. Um, my daughter's told me she has oppositional defiance disorder. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's a choice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's entirely your choice, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then, of course, if I do the reverse psychology trick on her <laughs> and be like, whatever you do, don't do this. <laughs> She's like, yeah. I know what you're doing, mum. <laughs> yeah yeah so now it's like I need to do a double bind where I'm like yeah pretending that I'm doing the reverse psychology but I actually wanted to do the thing that I'm telling you not to. oh my god that that just that just blows my mind I, I don't think I could follow that thread all the way through <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that would work I think I my head explode I know <laughs> I, I think really I've just stopped I just don't I don't I don't tell her to do or not do anything I just am like okay that's that's great <laughs> that, isn't that isn't that a realization at this age as well that other people are just other people and, mm -hmm. and including your children that they are just other people yes. and that they will go their own way 
do what they want and all you can do is sort of put signposts in just be there for them but it's the same with everybody like you sort of come to the realization that people are people they're just who they are Um, and don't sweat it I just I've got to that point where I just like I I don't get offended easily at all and people apologize to me all the time like one of the mums at school apologized to me for like she said I was in such a hurry I forgot to say hello I was like and I don't you know I'm not offended why would I be why don't waste time being offended yes yes that is just like what a waste don't waste time being jealous yes what is the point you really have to think what is the point of some of these emotions what is the point of getting upset if somebody ignores you because they've got other stuff you have to understand that everybody's got stuff going on and usually it's not about you so that's the sort of self-absorbed aspect like giving up on being self-absorbed just don't think everything's about you Mm. you know just 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 let people live Mm. and if you like them as they live their life great if you don't move on exactly don't waste time yeah yeah I couldn't agree more I I um I think episode 15 maybe episode 16 uh is all about letting go of of a lot of those emotions letting go of worry guilt um judging comparison Mm. I don't think I covered offense but I I really like that as well because generally the only person that you are annoying is yourself no one else is frustrated at your frustration you're just wasting your own time and so what's like you said what's the point of it and I think again it comes back to this like hey time time is moving we are running out I don't have time to waste being offended I don't have time to waste judging myself judging you comparing myself to you like who's got the time let's just do things move on love like that's exactly yeah yeah I think I think where don't waste the emotional energy um, on those sorts of things focus your emotional energy where it matters focus it on yourself on your children on your partner on your friends don't waste that precious energy because it's exhausting you know yeah. it is exhausting being annoyed with people and being angry and it consumes you and you know what's the point just yeah. just focus that make that energy positive and focus it on the people that you care about yeah exactly. and the things you care about yes yeah okay last question what is the best thing about this stage of life? And I guess we've covered a little bit of that, but yeah, anything else that stands yeah. out? I think I think the best thing is um, sort of knowing who you are. You're not sort of trying to be anything. I think knowing where you are in the world, the things that make you tick. I really love your idea of doing the 50 by 50 and just finding out the things that make you tick. I know the things... Um, that make me tick, I think. And we, uh, a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine, we did our values recently. We sat down, our kids were playing and we we're like, we see each other all the time. We're like, what are you talking about? So we did our values. And that was really helpful. Just, we had a list of values off the internet and we picked them out and just realizing the things that really matter to you. Like I didn't, we did the list and I was like, one of the words was beauty. And I didn't put it on my list. And then afterwards I was like, actually that does matter to me not in a physical sense but looking out at the world and seeing beauty in the world I like to have like plants around me I like to have I really like to make my house look nice you know that sort of beauty yeah looking at a nice picture and I was like oh I didn't I hadn't realized that Mm. that 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 mattered to me so just sort of realizing who you are and really thinking about it and putting it into practice I think so much of our younger years 
we sort of dream of what we could do and now we're at a stage in our lives where you know hopefully we can do those things mm -hmm. you know we can you know paint the living room green or whatever you know whatever you want to do you can do this you're the adult you know that's the realization I'm the adult <laughs> Finally, yeah. I can buy, like, like my husband bought a Tesla he's like I'm a grown-up I can buy a Tesla that's that's a really nice realization of this age isn't it that you yes. are the grown-up you, yes. you don't have to ask permission to 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 do these things so mm. I think I really like that it's a sort of freedom in a way isn't it to just follow what you want to do find out more it's it's huge and and confusing um the the like i think for so much of our lives we feel like the children still even yeah. when we've got children of our own we still feel like the children and it is there is a tipping point and i do think it's somewhere around here i don't think it's been that long that i've finally felt like an adult i have grandkids um, oh. and, and that didn't even like you know so yeah I, I, the, you know the thing for me was we um bought a house a couple of, no it, just over a year ago so it's only been just over a year that I felt like an adult <laughs> but house, and it's a nice house it, you yeah know, house before this has been a functional house um don't do it up too much because the kids are just going to ruin it so you know yeah. <laughs> don't spend too much money don't buy really nice furniture wait till the kids are gone and then the kids were finally well um, I'm not gonna say gone because they're still here but you know they're not drawing on the walls anymore with crayons <laughs> and so we bought a nice house and it feels like a house that my parents would have not yeah. a house and I'm like oh my goodness I'm actually I'm actually there <laughs> I'm actually yeah. Adult. Yeah. yeah. There's a freedom in that because that means that you can do adult stuff, which mm -hmm. basically means you can be a bit more selfish and do what you're doing yes. and just go, well, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to explore. I'm going to, you know, there's so much of the world. I mean, I know, I know you've done some traveling and I, I've done quite a lot of traveling, but there's still so much more. And sometimes it's little things like you, you with your souffle. I listened to that and I was like, yeah, that's just a really sweet little thing that you're exploring. Yeah. It doesn't have to be like, I want to go to, you know, I want to climb Machu Picchu or something. It can be something really little that you suddenly think, oh, I really, I'm an adult, I can do that. I, yes. I really want to have a go at making a souffle, but it doesn't matter if I mess up the kitchen or, you know, because it's my kitchen. Exactly. It doesn't even matter if I mess up the souffle because I can throw it in the bin because, like, a few eggs isn't going to kill me. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. Okay. But that's quite liberating, don't you yes. think? Yeah, hugely, hugely. It's, it's a, a, a huge mindset shift um yes. it's, it is it's it's been a work in progress but I definitely like even um you know going out I, and I spoke about this it's only because I've just recently recorded this episode which I think will be about episode 15 so it will have aired a while back before this one but um the, the going out to a restaurant and choosing what we want to eat rather than choosing the value for money or the, yeah. you know, the chicken parmi over the eye fillet. Now I, I might not have the eye fillet, but just because I don't feel like it's there, like I can yeah. sit there and go, what do my taste buds feel like today and not concern myself with the price that's on the menu. Yeah. That took such a shift for me to do that after years of, you know, when the kids are young and like my career's picked up, back then it was like retail around my husband's job and you know so 
like it is a big mindset shift in so many of those areas to go I have freedom now and I can do what I want to do is yeah it's not just the means it's the mindset as well yeah and I I went so when I was um, diagnosed with depression and I spoke to the doctor about it and we were talking about you know um about the the sort of environment around you like your husband and your family and stuff my family aren't close by and she said something that's really struck resonated with me and it was a little bit harsh but she basically said there's no one looking after you except yourself Mm -hmm. and actually you know no matter how much support we get from other people that is the truth especially at this age like we're not kids are we we're not there isn't you know, mum's there, but she's not looking after us. No. You know, our partner may be there, but they're also looking after themselves and the kids. And, and so you really have to think, this is my life now. What do I want from it? What, what I have to do this for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody it's, else is going to do it for you. No, no. It is. A, it's again, it's a big realisation that that. Uh, and to me, it comes down to a bit of trust in yourself as well. The ability to trust yourself to look after yourself, yeah. Um, which again is a bit of a mindset shift. So yeah, very exciting, very exciting. Okay, we will wrap that up there. That has been such Thank an amazing you. conversation. I I so appreciate you coming to talk with me and being so open about what you've been through. I'm. There will be so much for people listening to that to, um, you know, to get something out of that. And if you are listening and know of anybody that's going through something similar with eating disorders or just anything else really around that mental health area, it's it's such a big, um, it's such a big area. Yeah. Share this episode with them so that they can, you know, hear some of those wonderful words of wisdom as well. Yeah, I really hope that somebody gets something, even if just one person get something from this the story you know recognizes something and take something away that would be that would be amazing because it is not it's not the most talked about subject um it's very difficult to admit that these things happen so yeah i really i really hope that somebody gets something from this i have thank you thank you again claire really appreciate it and if you're still listening at this end of the podcast i appreciate you too and i will catch you next week Thank you so much for listening to the 50 by 50 podcast. I'm really glad you're here. If you enjoyed today's episode, could you rate and leave a review? This really goes a long way in helping other women to find the podcast. Also, if you have a question about turning 50 or making the most out of life, email me at rochelle at herleadershipway.com. You'll find that address in the show notes and I might be able to address it in an upcoming episode. And I'll see you next episode.